Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Got it. Woo! Woo! Okay, that voice is not Christy Moans. Oh, hey. <laughs> Were you trying to sound like Christy there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I have I have my backup podcast host with me today, Allie Tetrick. Oh, yeah. Girls Gone Gravel, Gone Road Racing. I, <laughs> I know. This is like your sixth time on the podcast now. Yeah, I'm pretty much on payroll. Payroll be, <laughs> I don't know. I just text you and ask you, can you do this? Because Christy has COVID. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As true friends do, that payroll status. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> uh, I'll buy you a drink next time I see you, which I don't even know when that'll be. Seaboat? Mm. No, I'm not going to Seaboat. Mm. Maybe I might be a big sugar. Are you going to be a big sugar? No. No. We'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, okay. We are going to be talking all today, uh, today, all about uh, the Tour de France bombs of Vex Zwift and the coverage. So uh, you did some exciting things and then we have another guest joining us. So this, is, oh, she's here already. Never mind. Our other guest is here. We're going to let her in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pause. Oh, I got it. muted. Oh, I got muted. I didn't mute you. You're talking. Oh, good. I was giving you a drum roll and I thought um, I got muted, Catherine. Sorry. Remember when, you, when I podcast with you, I take over? You absolutely take over. <laughs> okay. You are on mute, Rook. All right. How about now? Now you're not on mute. Hey, we're already recording. Okay. Welcome. Everybody's like, what the hell is going on today? Christy has COVID. I wanted to do an update on the Tour de France bombs. So then I messaged, okay, I'm going to say it wrong. Anna Marie, is, is Marie, is that how you say your real name or your name? Anna Maria, Rook, but she goes by Rook. So that's easy <laughs> because we met at uh, Unbound and mm-hmm. got to hang out a good bit. And then you were covering the Tour de France Femmes of X Swift in, on the ground in Indeed. France. And then Allie was covering it from a podcast studio in Aspen. <laughs> with Lance Armstrong. So I was like, Allie, do you want to join me for this podcast recording? Um, Cause I wanted to get the scoop on what you all thought about the race and you know, what y'all think about what this means for the future of women's cycling and all the fun things. So, so yeah. Cool. So Rook, uh, everybody knows Allie, so we're not going to have her introduce herself, but before we jump in and Allie takes over my podcast again, do you, <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about you, kind of your background, how you got into cycling, how you got into journalism, just give us the little two minute version so everybody gets to know you a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Anna Marairok. Um, I'm originally from Holland. That's where the accent's from. Uh, and I'm, I've been covering cycling and women's uh, cycling specifically for going on 11 years now. Um, I used to run Ella Cycling Tips and I've also written for, you know, cycling news, bicycling, single tracks, uh, just about every publication out there. And how did you get and into that? 
I uh, so I was a journalist first, like straight up newspaper journalism, uh, pol politics, and then I started racing bikes. And then after a while, I just married the two. I realized there was like very little women's coverage um, coming out of the U.S. And being multilingual, I was able to you know pick up the news coming from Europe and uh, start you know creating women cycling content for English speakers and. Uh, at some point, Cycling Tips reached out and we started working together. And then, uh, yeah, it all transpired from there. I think, um, first of all, we should probably just mention that we've raced with each other. <laughs> yeah. that. Um, and that was always a highlight to see you and talk to you. And then following you and Betsy Welch and all our favorite cycling journalists at uh, the Tour de France Bomb of Ex-Whip, um, there were so many female and women uh, journalists out there covering and that looked like such a powerful group of women really advocating for a sport what did that feel like for you yeah I mean I was the only female for so long you know always just stepping into a press room full of dudes you know being asked to like go grab coffee and so to like see like this massive group of female journalists there and was really, really empowering. And, and it's one of the things that we did on purpose. Um, several publications, we all talked and we're like, let's let's make a stand and make sure we send our female journalists out. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, really great to see that come to fruition. That was so cool. I was jealous I wasn't there, but, um, you know, being able to analyze the race to a really large platform was valuable to me, albeit polarizing for many people. But um, a good chance to share women cycling to an extremely large audience. Um, so, Catherine, you didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because <laughs> this is what I do. But <laughs> it was really fun because my team, I have a FOM shirt on here, and we helped Zwift and Kate, and you've talked to Kate on the podcast, and we had an all-female agency help with the branding, creative, and marketing strategy of this new rules campaign with Zwift. And so what I thought was most impressive was this watch the farm really take off this hashtag and, and to see something that you have an idea of being able to watch a women's bike race in in the U S on, we watched it on Peacock here. I don't know how, you know, that's what I at least could watch it on. Um, and it was 80 K to go, which was disappointing for some people, but the coverage was, I thought phenomenal with the helicopters and the multiple motos. And it was something like women's bike racing and a quality of coverage that I had never seen. Um, so that was something that was a big takeaway. And Catherine, we've talked about that where women cycling, it's like people go, Oh, no one's going to watch. We like busted through these doors, you know, like, and, Rook can like speak to it on her, her metrics, but I got the metrics from the tour in an email, you know, and they've sh they're sharing it and just for France. But I mean, we're talking millions and millions of viewers watching women race bikes, which like, 20. holy shit, of course they are. Cause it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. 20 people, 20 million people in France alone. I just, I can't wait to see the numbers come from, from around the world. It, it's absolutely incredible. I, was it your publication or was it cycling tips that said that they had the more views on their article or maybe Velo News? I can't remember. Velo News. Velo News Velo had News. more views on their articles during the Tour de France bombs than any, like the rest of the tour. No, no, no. It was then uh, the Giro. Oh, the so, Giro. Yeah. More, more viewers for the Tour de France Femme than they did for the men's Giro, which, which is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was super fun. And then we can, I mean, it just was incredible like where you can this visibility is viability where if people can watch it and I, I don't even think it's just I've seen some banner on this which I would agree it's not just like inspiring the next generation of young women and young girls it's just inspiring people like humanity <laughs> like our sport is artistic and dynamic and I had never seen it in that way and so I was super stoked to be able to tell the stories of athletes and give insight of course but create this place where people are like oh I'm learning about these athletes and then you know they're going to follow the sport further and if and that's with financial backing and then this is a big deal so I thought it was pretty monumental um I got in trouble for crying I think not in trouble I got like a couple like these comments like she's so emotional she's is she frantic is she having a meltdown and I was like swear word have you ever like dreamed of anything, tried anything, been beating down doors for your entire life? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I care that Mariana Voss, who's the perfect person in the world to have the yellow jersey, 
he has a yellow jersey. So I was really excited. Apparently, I'm still enthusiastic. Yeah, I, I probably wrote 4,000 words on Mariana in yellow and what that meant. And it was it was just something we've all been waiting to see. And this is someone who is the greatest of all time, who has won everything you can win except for this really big void of a yellow jersey, an official Tour de France yellow jersey. I mean, yeah, that that is the, the reason it means so much to her and to the sport in general. It's because it's that one jersey that has not just eluded her, but has eluded the sport as a whole for 33 years. So yeah, that was such an iconic moment. I mean, she got a standing ovation in the press room, you know, journalists burst out crying. Like it was, it was a pretty incredible moment. Yeah. I was definitely crying, like screaming. Lance was like, what? And I was like, you don't understand the world is now on its axis. Like we, everything is okay. Mariana Voss is donning the yellow jersey. <laughs> You could see it in her eyes too, right? Like when on the podium, you could just see like, it just felt like it was hitting her like this lifetime of achievement and standing there. I don't know. It. I'm getting choked up about it. And I'm not even like a super fan of women's pro, pro sorry, you guys, pro cycling. But, you know, you could just see like what that meant. Absolutely. I mean, she's, <laughs> she has... 242 road wins to her name you know and this one is what she says is the most special of them all because it's that that the fact that it wasn't attainable that it just didn't exist when she was racing this entire time and you know she's 35 she's not exactly a spring chicken and she had to wait and had to fight to create this opportunity for women everywhere and uh you know with the backing of swift we know we're going to get it for at least four years Four years will allow it to to grow or to you know become sustainable, and so that I think we all hope that this was the beginning of of just eternity that we're always going to have a women's Tour de France. Yeah, yeah I was um, I've raced with Mariana for a long time, and just to see her in that spot was just really beautiful. Um, and for her quote, it was just saying, "I thought this was always something for the men and not for me," and that's and. And you know her well as well, like as well, but she doesn't get emotional that often. So to see what, like almost a relief it was. And then she wore the yellow jersey for five days. So first stage you have Lorena Weebus win, who won with this like spectacular manicure, one hand yellow, one hand green. She wins the first stage, gets the yellow jersey and the green jersey. I was like, that's a baller move. That was great. And I, uh, so I was on the ground, right? So I'm there on the cobbles talking with Mariana afterwards, you know, she was still like, you know, still a little like, like shaking and still like just processing in her head what was going on and just the bitterness of having missed that opportunity. Uh, and yet being, you know, this, this classy second, that second place finisher. And, and, you know, we walked back to the bus together and, you know, she talked through it and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm bummed right now, but that doesn't mean I, I am not aware of how big this moment is for all of us, you know? And then the next day she gets the Jersey and everything is right. Yeah. It was, it was a really powerful moment. Yeah. To live your healthiest life possible. You need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, Visit InsideTracker.com slash Feisty. That's InsideTracker.com slash Feisty. Well, I want to I 
you to give us a little bit of the scoop of what it was like to be on the ground. Like what was the energy like? What was the vibe? Like kind of take us inside. Like we, there's plenty of podcasts that broke down the race. We want to just kind of get the behind the scenes, um, what it was like for you to cover it. Yeah. Just a little of that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this was from the get-go, there was so much hype, so much attention around this event and that that was really apparent on the ground. Um, I brought my my Brompton, my folding bike with me and just trying to get from the finish line to the start line took me 40 minutes just because the crowds were everywhere. And like we're talking like stereotypical Tour de France crowd, like people with like flags, people singing, just like it was they were like three, four deep and and uh, it, it felt momentous from the get go. And then that was stage one on, on the Champs-Élysées. And obviously, since the men finished that day, part of me was like, oh, well, they're here for the men. Da, 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 da. And then I was like, let's let's wait and see what happens tomorrow. And again, big, big crowds. And I was like, all right, well, we're still in cities. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? And every day it was just like these big, big crowds and from all over, really. I talked to, you know, Americans. I talked to Belgians. I talked to Germans. Like just people literally came out just to watch these women at times just come by once. And I think, uh, yeah, the, to their credit, the ASO did a really good job with their um, caravan and, and and doing all the activations around the race. Like everywhere you went there, there was people lined up and, and they were all wearing, you know, the, the free polka dot t-shirts. And it, it was um, as big as a regular Tour de France stage, I'd say. And by regular Tour de France stage, I mean men's Tour de France because we didn't have one before. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember Celine saying something like, oh, I hope people aren't criticizing the because you could see it, you know, on the TV coverage. But then I went back and I was looking at a little of the men's coverage. And I was like, the crowds aren't everywhere on their race either. They're like at certain places, like the climb, the epic climbs or, you know, so. Yeah, and like I, those last two days was just, <laughs> it was so loud. So on the second to last day, I'm uh, again walking with Mariana talking about like losing the yellow jersey and things like that. And we're, we're walking through the finishing straight and people are banging the boards so loud. Like I was literally laughing because I was like, I can't hear a thing. Is this what it's been like all day? And like over the crowd, she shouts to me and she's like, it's been so incredible. It's just, it was absolutely deafening. And, and I think uh, that's a good thing to remember too. Like it's pretty remote out there. And so no, people aren't going to be in the middle of nowhere. Although on the gravel sectors, there were people, and that was pretty darn remote. And then, uh, yeah, like like in men's racing, you know, they go to the big stages where you get to see the most action. Yeah. Okay, since we are a gravel podcast, I want to hear the scoop on that gravel section because it looked insane. Allie, I know you were commenting on it on the move, but I mean, the dust and the... <laughs> um, yeah, so and they were, they were not riding tubeless or they were riding regular are. tires. This is... It they were riding tubeless, so oh, they um, were. I did a full was article. Tubular. SC Works was riding tubular. Yeah, so I did a full article on who was riding what, so you can go back to Cycling Weekly and see exactly what your favorite team was riding and how many flats they got. So I spent a lot of time talking to mechanics and seeing how they fared. Um, and I went out there and I was in the cars that day because I really wanted to see the gravel sections for myself. So I walked them, you know, I saw the rocks, and my first reaction was like, "Oh, this isn't so bad." But that was because I was coming from a gravel point of view. And then I was like, oh, wait, they're on 28 tires coming across these. This is going to be terrible. And and then she saw it at times it was. And it, it was mostly so, so dusty. I don't know how they managed to breathe or see for that matter. Yeah. Do you remember how many flats there were that day? Oh, I don't have the total number. It was more like, did they get a flat? Yes or no. I think all but maybe two teams had flats. It was pretty bad. And I, I followed up on the next day after that, or the two days after with that really big crash with that took out like 30 people. Um, I, again, went to all the mechanics and, and got a list of the damages that it did. You should check that out also, because it was pretty horrendous how many yeah. um, bikes and wheels that got broken that day. Yeah. Let's talk about the crash, because I did see a lot of comments on Twitter about people like kind of talking about the women and that crash. I've seen a lot of big crashes in men's bike racing too over the years. Like, yeah, it was half pretty, the peloton goes down. I wasn't there, like Rook, but um, seen it on TV. And I was asking Mari Holden, who's 
uh, you've had on the podcast, Catherine, um, Olympic medalist, world champion, and she was co-hosting with me. And I'm like, for sure, I've been in a crash like that. Just no one had a helicopter and all these TV photos on it. I've never got my foot caught in like somebody else's spokes. I think the more like it was like very tangled. It was like not a very dramatic crash, but it got very tangled. And then um, I think it was Christine Majoris did a tweet and she did took select four shots of the men crashing the tour this year. And she was like, you know, end of story. <laughs> You know, like men crashed you and like the men were getting in on it too. Cause I think these crashes actually just happen and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's, we have big crashes in every bike race. Cause that's just a part of bike racing. It's not if you crash or when you crash, which is just like a bad news. Um, but it's a fact, but I think it's that we actually could see women crashing and we're used to seeing the men catapulting all over and getting all tangled, but we actually had good coverage. And so it made TMZ, right? Like this women's crashes in TMZ. <laughs> and I was like, we've made it. Oh, wait, this is awful. <laughs> it was everywhere. It was on NPR. It was on the, the New York Post. It was, it was mostly, I was like, this is what you decided to cover finally because it was spectacular. And the silly thing is, the crash was covered, was, was caused by a simple bottle or a simple little package of food on the ground. It was just, it was the longest stage. People were kind of tuned out and suddenly someone hits you know, for an object and it was just, it was like bowling pins, just like big, big pileup. Um, and it was a slow crash, relatively speaking. And so that's why everyone got so entangled. But yeah, they're so common in men's racing. And I, yeah, I was, all I could do really was eye roll at, at all the yeah. coming in. I was like, really? Have you watched men's racing recently? <laughs> well, last year, you know, in the sign Mageddon. The guy that was holding the side of the road took out half the peloton because they just went down like dominoes. Yeah, I mean, this gonna happen, and the fact that 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 made you know national and international news is is really unfortunate. But hey, if that got people watching the next day, I'll take it. Yeah. What did you all feel like the response was like? Because just some of the stuff that we were posting on our social media accounts, like I saw so much support from men. A little bit of mansplaining. I'm not going to lie. There was a little bit of like, let me tell you something that you don't know. But for the most part, I just saw a lot of, I I was happy about all the supportive men that were, were commenting on Girls Gone Gravel posts. Uh, but I know there was also a lot of, you know, snide comments and stuff too. So what were you all seeing kind of out there? I mean, to be honest, I don't really care what the men thought. Uh, this was not their moment to shine. This was the women's moment to shine. Um, and from what I could tell, everything was was really rather positive. Um, and, and the numbers speak for themselves. Look how many people tuned in and watched and how many people were on the roadsides. And um, I just uh, went around the Peloton one day and I asked people to share their, um, asked riders, sorry, to share their memories of going to the tour because a lot of them grew up with it. And I was like, what is your Tour de France memory growing up? And just, you know, a lot of them talked about how they were hunting for signatures and and uh, water bottles and things like that. And then to think that these women did the exact same thing for thousands of children out there. It was just so heartwarming to seeing, you know, every time I saw Elisa Longoburghini sign a hat or like someone give their bottle away just to think that the next Mariana Vos, the next Anamik from Floatin is in there. And then that just, yeah, that makes everything right. I don't really care about any negative comments, just seeing how many um, kids were inspired by by watching this and seeing this in real life. That's so awesome. I, I from a different perspective where I was analyzing the race, um, I really liked introducing women cycling to cycling fans. So it's just like, hello, we're here. And the racing was super dynamic, really freaking exciting. And so any negative comments was probably me pronouncing somebody's name wrong. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> like I called Anamique Bloody, but I was like, no, literally we call her that in the, like, like, I'm not saying her name wrong. That's like a nickname and it's, oh God, or Fom or Femme, you know? it's just so that was like the only negative comments but most of like everything I got which was over to like over a million people like tuned into this broadcast I was doing and it's uh wow I loved meeting the writers because I went on the so different than you wrote but like because I'm not a journalist I'm just a podcaster so totally different 
but I like to tell stories and backgrounds. And, you know, we've always talked about that Catherine on this podcast, which is the whole reason this podcast exists, but to like, I love Lamborghini is what I call her, but at least a Longo Bergini. I love her and, and to tell like how she got into the sport or boss's cat. I used to hang out with the, in their trailer with <laughs> and like how, like to, what these people are, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're epidemiologists, they're, play violin, play piano, their mothers, you know, their daughters, sisters. And so I would like to showcase these beautiful athletes. So all my comments was like, like all the comments I got, I only maybe only got like three negative. And one was that I was like frantic, too emotional, too passionate, something like that. I cried too much, which I basically wanted to flip off those people. And it's actually funny though, if you respond to them, which I know I was told not to look at comments, but if you respond, they actually like, every time I responded to somebody, they were like, oh, I know you're really excited. I'm sorry. I just wasn't used to that. <laughs> and I'm like, see, I'm watching you. <laughs> so I should probably stop reading the comments. But like, like <laughs> but it is funny if you actually respond, they're like, Oh, is she too much caffeine? Is she drunk? Should she try to, I'm like, Oh, should I try that? <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I was like, it's cool. I'm watching you, <laughs> but you're watching this. So I think the pop, like the overall was meeting the athletes, seeing this sport at the highest levels, which it frustrates me to say this is the highest levels because I've always uh, idolized or had other pinnacle events like Olympics, world championships. And to see the Tour de France covered this way, I'm going to say this was the pinnacle of women's cycling that I have ever seen. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've covered this, like you said, for 11 years and I've never seen the Peloton this dialed and I mean, the, the, the caliber was so incredibly high and just watching Anamik just fly up that hill was just next level. I mean, they've definitely rivaled, you know, the men's tour of California, if I may be so bold, but like they, they are fitter and faster and, and more professional than I've ever seen them. And uh, we're definitely witnessing a new heyday of, of women's cycling. That's an interesting point because I was like, next year, it's going to even be more bonkers because the women that participated this year or didn't make the roster are going to want to be in that spotlight. So I think this is actually going to elevate our sport even more because maybe like first autumn week was like, eh, this is just another jersey, it's just another race. Mariana puts it on. She's like, I want that. <laughs> Oh, I don't think Anamik ever truly thought that. She was struggling with a stomach bug early in the week. And I think all of us knew that come the mountain stages, she'd be ready. And she, oh, came. we knew she was gone. Yeah. But. Show. And, and she did. I mean, I think uh, also a sign of the times was that Damie Vollering on um, the second to last day comes across the line. She's like clutching her legs. She's cramping. She like just absolutely breaks down into the arms of her family on the, on the they were on the left of me on the side of the, the finish line. And she was just so distraught because she had been working towards this moment all year long is her absolute fittest that she can possibly imagine. And she was still not fit enough, not fast enough, not strong enough. And she was like, I don't, I don't, where do we go from here? Like, we're only going to go up. Yeah. Well, and I also love that Anamik was, is 39 years old. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, she is. And so I think probably Allie, when you were racing, was it the average age of the team still had to be 27? Yeah. <laughs> I lucked out on that because I started when I was 22. Anamie couldn't start until she was 24. She has a yeah. master's degree in epidemiology. Not yeah, 20. but right, like it would have probably excluded her from racing if you have to keep your average team age pretty young at some point. And so just, I was telling my friends that cause I was at the beach with them and I was like, Oh, like average age used to be 27 and she's 39 years old. And, you know, understanding women actually get better with endurance in their thirties and early forties. And so I think we'll just see some powerhouse women cycling, you know, yeah, I think it's be super exciting to see more preparation and ages like, is no limit here at all. I don't, I don't think it's just a matter of will resources and drop, like, you know, if that's what you want to do. Um, but yeah, she was, she was definitely a dominant force in nature there. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I, I was talking to Marianne Martin, right. The 1984, very first. Yeah, I talked to her too. And she said, she's like, it's, it's, the, our ability, our capability was never in question. We were always able to do this. We just weren't allowed to do this. And I think, you know, if you take that in mind and you watch this year's event, you're like, yeah, 
Like they put on an incredible show. Like no one who watched that race can be like, oh, women can't ride their bikes. Like you absolutely just, yeah, they blew it out of the water. And I think some people were a little worried of, of um, uh, negative racing or like cautious racing because of, you know, the, the stakes. And I think instead they just put on this tremendous show. And um, for anyone listening to this that hasn't tuned in, Go go subscribe or like log into your Peacock and, and go back and watch it or even just watch the UCI uh, YouTube channel highlights because it was the highest caliber of racing I've probably ever seen. Yeah, it's four ninety nine for the month for Peacock. You can if you don't have it, just get one month. <laughs> yeah, I concur. It was the best racing I ever saw and with eight days of that high caliber coverage. People were able to build like relationships with riders, you know, and they as they learned more and watch. And it was so exciting because you never knew it was going to happen. I don't know. I know I like race gravel now, Catherine, but I've been immersed into the Tour de France farm and the Tour de France for a month now. And I'm like, gravel, what? Like, I'm really excited about this for women's cycling. And and I uh, some women in that Peloton. I race gravel against now too. And they were like teammates and competitors when I race road. And now it's so nice to like see mixes of unbound racers in there and, and these amazing different personalities. So it really gave us the opportunity to like meet these riders. And so I want more of this. Like, I don't know how we do that, but I want more. Emily Newsom was one of our former podcast guests. She, I think yep. you were saying that Rook, she, she raced it and um, I, I've told people like, oh, we're going to see all these folks on the gravel scene when they retire from the, from their pro team. So don't worry. You're going to, you're going to get to know them. Yeah. And Tip Cromwell was in there and, um, uh, yeah, it's just super cool. Uh, it was amazing riders. So, yeah. Okay. I do want to get the scoop on that last stage, the finish climb, because that looked batshit crazy. Like that <laughs> climb up the gravel. And I was like, the grades are like 22, 24%. The motorcycle tipped over the media. <laughs> uh, and everybody was like, did you see the motorcycle tip over? I was like, yeah, I saw it tip over. So it was that deep. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he had to put more weight on his front wheel, which the riders also had to do. And, and uh, <laughs> he, he didn't quite succeed and just tipped over. Well, and somebody was saying it was sand, like it was softer gravel. It was sandy. It was, yeah, it's not the, the kind of gravel we see here, like any of the gravel sectors on on uh, um, the Fort State as well. It's it's definitely more Stradbianchi, like it's white, it's very, very dusty, and it'll be pretty fine until it's not, and then there's like chunky like rocks in there. It was, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> 24% with gravel. It was exactly as it sounds, just hellish after you've been climbing for a very long time. And then people, they had people catching the women at the top. They had the same in the men. So the, there's a whole host of people and their sole job that day is to catch them and guide them safely because they are so spent. Like I, if you've never ridden your bike that hard, it's hard to explain, but you like, they have nothing left. They can't even like keep their balance. They just like tip over. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting job, but I'm glad they had them there because they were definitely needed. I've raced up the punch of a feet, but never the super punch of feet the belty um but we're de france so another fake tour that we've had along the way but i would like to know rogue if you um rode your brompton up that i didn't i wish i had but i had a flight to catch and uh once you're up there you really get stuck um with wanting to get out but no next year next year will be another brompton adventure um <laughs> ali can i can i ask a question yeah so uh, the the peloton was completely split on whether gravel belongs in the Tour de France or whether gravel or or cobblestones for that matter belong in stage racing. What do you think? I mean, obviously you like gravel, so um, you may be swayed. But at the same time, you've raced, you know, in a stage race where GC is is the all important goal for many people. So what do you think? I think um, personally, I love gravel. I love stage racing. Um, I also I believe that gravel and cobbles do belong in stage races. It does make the GC riders very nervous because there's bad luck risk. You understand all the chaos that can occur, but as cycling evolves, uh, okay. So first of all, selfishly, not as a gravel racer, I love road racing like 
a million ten like ten percent like you guys all know this. I'm like a road racer at heart that turned into like gravel. But in stage races, I felt like some of our stage races and road racing, which made us irrelevant, is when it's all super climby. The same people win. The break, you know. I like opportunity and I like to kind of throw the cards up in the air and see what falls. So personally, as a racer, I like different stages, like a rollers course. Like for me as a domestique, that's not going to win on the Stelvio or on the super de I want opportunity for different types of riders to win selfishly as a rider myself. And then as a fan, I think it's fun not to see the same people on the podium. So I do like the little chaos, a little uncertainty, preparation, equipment. And then when we look at cycling industry as a whole, I think that obviously we're on Girls Gun Gravel podcast because we love Catherine and we love gravel, but gravel is what's really driving our industry forward right now. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of bike buying. And so I think if we can integrate cobbles and gravel into grand tour and tour like stage races, it makes road racing more relevant to a broader consumer. And I think it makes the races exciting. And then there's equipment choices, technology, innovation, and storytelling there. So I'm a fan. Um, I know Anamika is not. However, she excels every time she's there. Yeah. She's fine. Like I, I said, she's not a fan because she put up on her Twitter. She also put up on her Twitter. She didn't care about the tour. So that's where I got that from, or Instagram. <laughs> but then she really cared. <laughs> but um, No, she was very vocal. She was probably the, the most vocal about not um liking having a, a gravel stage in a gc but uh fun fact catherine um ali and i raced a stage race together if i remember correctly where that was gravel in the middle wasn't she goes stage race that's right mm-hmm. and that cost a lot of carnage i mean that I was won that, stage. That, <laughs> that was that was tough tough day i mean that was aero bikes on 24 26 to see if that i don't know it was bumpy i can tell you that much um yeah, and I, I fully agree with, with everything Ali said. I think the one thing I would like to add is that I personally, as a non-climber, uh, hate that only climbers win these like grand tours and these big, that's big things. And if there's an overall to win that's supposed to showcase the best overall cyclist, then they should also do well on these uh, more technical challenges, in my opinion. Yeah, that's what I agree. Like, I like having that kind of unknown in road racing where we're throwing gravel in there or pave or whatever, where it's not just like the skinniest person wins with like the biggest power to weight. Like, I want someone that can like do some rolling resistance that can like make sprint cuts that can, you know, like I want to see that as a fan and as a writer. Because I have a lot of swear words as a domestic racing, like the Giro and like my version of the tour where you're just like, like, just, I just want to eat a burger right now. And you guys are so tiny. <laughs> I'm starving looking at you. <laughs> Speaking of weight, did you guys catch the very many uh, bike changes that I'm going to on the last, last stage and the fact that she did it because her bike weighed too much? Paint. Yellow it paint. Was yellow paint. Yep. I mean, if you're going like, to you 24 more minutes, like, we're good, girl. We're good. <laughs> I don't think the paint's a factor right now. <laughs> Whatever yeah, gets I, you at the top of 24%. <laughs> did you see like, her nails were painted? Like, does that like add weight? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. I saw this happening. I was counting them and I was like, I'm going to reach out to Danny, who is our communications person. I'm like, is she doing this because her paint weighs too much? She was. Five bike changes, Catherine. Well, oh the, the, five, the five was not intentional. The first one was intentional. She was like, she'll start off on the yellow show it off to the world, then go on her usual uh, black uh, frame, which has been stripped of most of the painting. Uh, but then that bike and mechanical. So then she had to get on her teammate's bike, which didn't fit her well. So they put her back on the yellow bike only to get back on the black bike at the very <laughs> end. It was such a risk to take over just a few grams. It was it was pretty maddening. But I race gravel. So I have like a little like lasagne bento box, basically. With You've all got chicken wings. So I'm pretty sure weight and like I will never you can hear me now Catherine never aero bars on my gravel bike I just think it's aesthetically displeasing and dangerous and I also did time trialing for way too long (laughs) so I'm a no aero bar person and I just think it's it's an issue I'm sure for a lot of people but I will have my little snack box and I will paint my nails and I'll get custom painted bikes and I'm going to be so happy with my donut holes and whiskey (laughs) 
no air bars. Allie does carry a flask. (laughs) Does weight not matter at all in gravel? It does. I mean, people will definitely like, you know, think about like dropping their, um, their camelbacks for the last part of a race or something where they're carrying more. It depends on the race rope. Like unbound, I would say weight's minimal. It's more like, I always, I, like, I joked when I first started growl because there were, like, women in, like, skin suits with, like, men, you know, handing up all their stuff. And I, like, I was, like, I have, like, all my baggage, like, including, like, my life baggage on me. I got, like, a camelback and then, like, extra tire. Like, when I first won Gravel Worlds, I seriously had, like, everything I own and all my life baggage. Like, I got a divorce over here, an ex-boyfriend over here. Like, my mom, like, not liking me over here. Like, my mom loves me. But, like, I had everything on <laughs> In my case person. Allie's mom listens to this. <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to Lance because I definitely dropped an F-bomb to over a million people. So <laughs> my brother-in-law texts, he's like, did you just do that? I, was like, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it just depends on the race, where the feed zones are, the distance. I tend, the way I do gravel is to be more self-sufficient just because I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm one to do a camelback chase vest, carry all my like life belongings, yeah. including whiskey in case like I'm just sitting there and bored on Instagram I- or... I think we're going to see it change the more competitive it gets and the more there's prize money on the line. That's just my, yeah. The part though, that's Catherine would be interesting. We should talk to some people on that on another podcast that I host. <laughs> Love you, Christy. Um, is <laughs> Maybe you and Christy can do the next put bottles in the back of their, and I'm like, why bought like my pockets are so full of things. Like the camelback is not that heavy. It's 1.5 liters or any hydration pack. Like I am sponsored full disclosure of camelback, but like, but they're putting bottles in their pockets. Like they must be just chucking the bottle. But then I'm like, is that littering? Is it, are you going to somebody like, why does it matter this much? Just carry the extra, whatever, three yeah. pounds of water. Sometimes those things are mental though. Like changing your grams on a bike is probably a little bit mental. Okay. I know Allie has to bounce in a second. So I, I'll start with you on this question. Then you can bounce and Rook and I can stay on. Uh, but uh, I want to hear uh, what was your favorite what was your favorite moment on the tour? And then do you have any thought like this in three minutes because before you have to bounce uh, and then like, what do you think this means to the future of women's cycling? <laughs> Those are loaded questions for three minutes. Go. Oh, two minutes now. Go. Uh, favorite moments for me. Um, of course, we're talking the world is right on its axis when Mariana Voss puts on the yellow jersey. However, one of my favorite little riders. I love my Lamborghini, Elisa Longobergini. I love how aggressive she races, but also Cecile Ludwig. She's a Danish rider. I think she just does the most emotional interviews. And she's, I got a few comments that if anyone was louder and more passionate and excited than I am, it's her, which made me happy because most people can't compare me to many people. <laughs> so, but she has this, If you, you have to actually should post it, Catherine, but she got third place in, Tour Flanders a couple years ago. Um, and it's the best finish line interview you've ever seen. And she's like the happiest third place rider. And she won stage rook, was it three? Four. And she won two, right? What? Stage two. Oh, she won stage two. Was it? No, stage two was Mariana. Stage oh, three. Yeah. Three. Three. One in Epernay. Yeah, she won an Epernay. Yeah. And this girl just busted up this hill full crying. I'm crying with her. So once again, all the mansplainers that say she stopped crying, watching sports. Welcome. Welcome to caring. Um, beautiful. And so I think those are my, just, just to be able to first of all, see the race, Mariana, and then my little favorite, like riders, just doing them and, and I doing them, right. Like just they're being them, they're racing, they're emotional, they care. It, what a beautiful freaking sport we have, um, gravel road, everything. And then what this means to the future, I think we're here to stay. I think this is actually, and I don't want to be too optimistic. I was texting with Kate from Zwift, Catherine, which you've had on the podcast today. And we've been working on this project for months and full disclosure. I'm like crossing my fingers going, Oh my God, I hope people show up. I hope people watch. I hope the race is good. Like, and I'm watching the race freaking levitated every day and then looking at the fans, looking at the feedback. And so for me, that gives me confidence that this is here to stay. And I think, and I believe we just hit a pivot point in women's cycling and this will transcend to gravel. 
to cyclocross, to track, to any discipline, just of women in sports. So it's hashtag watch the farm, but like that transcends not just cycling to me, that's women being executives, volunteering advocates. Like we're in a place right now where women's sports is growing and just women being present and equal like members of society with the viewership and the viability. Boom. I really think this is something big. And that's, I think we're at this point. And, and it's because of the people listening to this podcast. It's because of people that are liking, retweeting, sharing, watching everything. And I think we just keep supporting women because helping your teammate win is winning. And we're all teammates here. And the more women win, like the more we all win. And I, I really do believe um, I've said it before, but this finish line is only the beginning for something so much greater in our sport. And I'm not just speaking strictly to road cycling. I'm just speaking to women in sports, careers, executives, et cetera. I told you I got excited. <laughs> I love it. Um, mic drop. Oh, all right. Yeah. Good luck following that up. Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're just going to be just as special. Yeah. So Allie has to go to a board meeting with you. You say cycling. Thanks for joining us. This was kind of a like crazy last minute, but thanks for putting this together across continents and stuff. So yeah, this is amazing. Um, I love to see you, Rook. I was like, are you sure she's still in Europe? <laughs> and um, fun fact for the podcasters, Chrissy Moan married me. She didn't marry. She married you and Blaze. Oh, she was the officiant. Oh wait, she didn't marry you. <laughs> she was the officiant. Oh yeah, she was the not married to Christy. for me and Blaze, which you still need him on the podcast. But I had like a gravel community in this tiny little small group. But Christy Moan is sick, but not for my wedding. Married me and Blaze. I would marry her if she asked, but she didn't ask. Blaze asked first, so. Anyway, fun facts, fun gravel facts. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Thank you, Allie. Allie. That's always like Tornado Allie. I always joke. I'm like, I text her. I was like, hey, do you want to take over my podcast tomorrow? I mean, be my co host. Because <laughs> she always takes over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I want to hear from you. Uh, favorite, we could go one by one because you don't have to like get off and. For a board meeting but uh what was your favorite moment of the tour yeah it's it's, it's a tough one i mean uh, yeah i want to reiterate just seeing the greatest of all time in this jersey that we haven't seen in 33 years is is just such an iconic moment that um even though she wasn't you know the gc winner in the end she still walked away queen you know and uh that was an incredible moment because it just meant so much for for all of us that have been in the sport um and and then for her as well and i think uh yeah that yeah. that was must be my favorite moment of the race um for me being there my favorite moment was stage 7 it was just such a good day i uh we were in a beautiful area you know very mountainous very woodsy i got up early i went for uh, a trail run and then i rode my brompton to the start line uh to watch them all off and then my like intent that day was to like walk up the climb and like meet some of the fans and that was uh the grand ballon and it was so great just to meet the people and and just hear about how far they traveled for this chance to see these women come by once you know like people from the u.s fly out and you know how limited holiday time and time off is in general in the u.s so they fly out across the world just to see these women come by once and it was just such an incredible like aha moment of of like see people do want to watch women's sports they don't not just tuning in from wherever they are but like to physically travel to go watch women be their best is uh pretty remarkable and and that happening on the same weekend as the finale of the the women's um soccer here in Europe was just like such a great moment of like either you were watching bike racing or you're watching soccer but you were watching women regardless. And like, like Ali said, like that was again, a moment that, that both like made me go, Hey, we're here finally. And I was like, Oh, look where this is going to go. Like, this is the start of, of something really, really big. And that's the word everyone kept saying, like, this is big. And uh, this transpired or this with this, I'm going straight into your second question, but I think, uh, I think we just witnessed the start of, of what will be the norm, a women's tour of France. Yeah. 
do you uh one of the things that I had read was when they had the women's tour in the 80s it, it didn't get sponsorship money but also like cycling media wouldn't cover it mm-hmm. um and so how have you, you seen that shift in cycling media Oh, massively. I mean, not just by the fact that there were lots of women there, but by, you know, the first stage, there were over 200 journalists there, which is incredible. And so we had this like this posse of traveling journalists that went from stage to stage, from start to finish to the press rooms. And it were the usual faces, people that have been in the, the sport for a long time, but also a lot of new faces and faces from really big publications. Uh, ESPN was there. I think um, the Telegraph, the Guardian, like all these non-endemic media were there to pay attention to women cycling, which prior was such a niche of a sport that is already a niche, you know? So I think that was a very good sign. And same when we were in Unbound, you know, CNN was there, ESPN was there. Like when that happened, I had never seen it before. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get from place to place as a media? Do they have like a media caravan or are you on your own? Like you're completely on your own for everything, for food, for transport, for yeah, hotels. It's a logistical bit of a nightmare uh, in terms of planning. But yeah, so we got a rental car and most people do pile up in cars, you know, just to to make it more um, cost effective. And then you just you drive to the start, you do your interviews, then you you drive to the finish, and then you do the transfer to the next start. Because every day that was a was a transfer to a new town as well. So you you do the days are really long, and you spend a lot of time in the in the car. Um, but it's it does create a, a fun little like traveling circus. Oh, well, um, I've taken a lot of time with you out of your day with your family um, that you're getting to visit. So if people want to follow your work or follow you, how how would they do that? They can find me on all the social medias, A-M-R-O-O-K, A-M-R-O-O-K or uh, Cycling Weekly, where I do all my writing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us at um, our, a little bit of an unusual, usually like when the guest comes on, we like give them all the background and stuff. And we just start talking when you came on. So <laughs> well, thanks for, thanks for being flexible. This was really fun. Like hearing you and Allie chat about your observations. So we go back a ways too. Yes. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the girls gone gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at live feisty media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast and be sure to follow us at girls gone gravel on Instagram or Facebook.